Chris, welcome to episode 209 of X-Lapsed, where uh, I'm trying to get this recording in a little bit early today. It's a pretty busy day here at the house. It's my uh, 13th wedding anniversary and also my wife's birthday. So, uh, yeah, trying to get this recording in before, you know, the day actually starts. Uh, I mean, it's not like you guys know that I'm recording this while it's still dark out <laughs> in the morning, but uh, it is, and, uh, well, I, I'm not even sure what we're doing today. I've... Uh, Got a lot of planning on my plate. Usually, for our anniversary, we would go up to uh, to Washington State, up to uh, Snoqualmie Falls, where uh, you know Twin Peaks was. Uh, you know, the, the setting for Twin Peaks there, that uh, the Salish Lodge. We'd usually go there for our anniversary, but after you know the pandemic last year, it's it was still a little bit wary about traveling, and also our uh, dog sitter moved away, so we don't have anyone to watch the pups. So. We're staying home, which means uh, we gotta try to figure out something fun to do, which I'm not good at planning things, so this is going to be a challenge. But uh, enough about that. Let's get into uh, something that uh, I can kind of talk about with, uh, well, not so much authority, but uh, I did read it, so I can talk about what happened in it. This is an issue of New Mutants. This is uh, New Mutants, Volume 4, Number 18, out of July 2021 cover date. Story's called Homecoming, written by Vida Ayala, art by Rod Reese, led as VCs Travis Lanham, designs Tom Muller, head of Exus Hickman. Edits, Bisa White Sapolsky, cover price $3.99. Went on sale May 26 of 2021. Now we open at the Singing Falls of Krakoa, where uh, Danny Moonstar is facilitating a conversation between the Koimon twins. Now, Shan explains to Tran that all the best psychics of Krakoa have tried working their hoodoo in order to separate them and, you know, to get Tran out of her head, but they've all failed. She knows so that so long as she's still alive, Tran will very likely remain trapped inside her mind. Tran's just confused as to how they're able to communicate. After all, they're not in Otherworld at the moment, and uh, thank anything and everything you find holy for that. Anyway, Karma explains that death is no longer permanent for mutants, and is under the hopeful assumption that, uh, should she die, both Koimons can be brought back in their own bodies. But, since suicide isn't really an option here, in so many words anyway, the best idea she can come up with is to attempt to separate them via the Crucible. Which, of course, isn't a surprise to us. We read this at the cliffhanger last issue. Uh, she asked Danny to be her, uh, to do her the favor, and looks like Danny is going to comply. Karma then comes out of her trance um, and asks if Danny is, you know, all right. Uh, she's fine, but she doesn't want to keep everybody waiting, so I guess we're going to do this straight away. But first, an info page. 
This is a failed psychic rescue report wherein four attempts were made to psychically extract Trancoy Ma. Um, the participants included Quanan, Rachel, Jean, Emma, and Professor X. And we've seen psychic rescues before. We saw one in Giant Size X-Men with uh, Jean and Emma, and we also saw one way back in Grant Morrison's new X-Men with Jean and Emma. Now, when this didn't work, they would even enlist the aid of Ilyana and her soul sword to try to, um, I don't know, maybe cleave Tran out. Uh, this failed as well. Next, double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. We got quite a number of characters here. Danny Moonstar, Karma, Wolfsbane, Warpath, Magic, The Shadow King, Anole, Scout, Rainboy, Cosmar, and No Girl. Back to comics, and we're being welcomed to the Crucible by the Silver Samurai. Now, we've talked a ridiculous amount about the weirdness that is the Crucible, yes? Well, we're about to again. Uh, now, in the crowd, we can see all of Karma and Danny's oldest friends. Rooting for them in this ritual murder-slash-suicide-slash-whatever-you-want-to-call-it. Um, none of them seem all that creeped out. None of them seem all that bothered about the fact that uh, they are about to witness one of their closest friends kill another one of their closest friends. Huh. Okay, so let's scan the crowd for a moment here. We've got uh, Warlock, Magic, Cypher and Bay the Blood Moon, Warpath, Cannonball, Sunspot, Wolfsbane, Magma, and Warpath of... Uh, you know, of the New Mutants crew uh, and thereabouts. We also have other members of Krakoan society here, including Dupe, Brew, Anole, Nature Girl, Cosmar, No Girl, Rainboy, Maxime and Manon, who we haven't seen in a little bit, Armor, Shadow King, Strong Guy, Pyro, Nanny, Dust, Oya, Jubilee, Scout, and uh, probably some others that I couldn't make out. And they are all hootin' and hollerin', ready to watch the blood flow. Anyway... The samurai introduces the combatants and explains the situation. Then the be the bell rings here, and it looks... It almost looks like Danny and Shan are having themselves a play fight. Neither of them are really giving their best effort here. It's almost like they're... It's like they're dancing with one another. Now, off to the side, we can see that Cosmar is watching and is incredibly bummed out by all of this. Now, if we remember, she had asked Danny to do her the favor a few issues back, but Danny refused. So it's not terribly difficult to see why this turn of events would upset her. Because, I mean, it seems kind of like, or almost exactly like, a double standard, right? And yet another indictment on how the rules and laws of Krakoa really are on a case-by-case -case basis. And maybe have a little bit more to do with how high you rank and maybe who you know and who you're friends with than uh, anything else. Now, Karma's situation here is, at the very least, a bending of the rules, right? Now, this was something not afforded to Cosmar, and, uh, again, you can see why she'd be upset by this. From here, we pop over to an aside with a scout chatting up Warpath. Now, she asks him an awkward hypothetical, uh, but actually completely real, question. Now, about having a group of friends who are unhappy and who might be resorting to doing some sketchy stuff. Now, of course, she's referring to the, you know, Shadow King's oddities, right? They're considering using X-Factor's cadaver form in order to transmit their consciousnesses, right? Uh, Annalee told her all about this last issue, and they had a bit of a falling out. Now, as she explains this, she kind of hems and haws, right? Because while this whole thing is very sketchy, nothing these hypothetical friends are doing is against the law, right? 
Nor is it really all that urgent, considering that the resurrection protocols are a thing, in case this whole thing goes a bit caca for them. They could just come right back if something goes wrong. Now, she also has a bit of a personal stake in this situation, because as Scout has reminded us a few times, and will remind us again before the end of this issue, she's been used by other people. She's been She has not had control of her life for as long as she's been around. So... Having been used, she thinks it's pretty uncool for these hypothetical friends to use these cadavers without their permission. Now, she doesn't exactly say that to Warpath, but we kind of get her gist. Well, James tells her to trust her hypothetical instincts here. This catches Gabby off guard, because she was uh, maybe expecting a lecture, I guess. James tells her that, you know, even though they're living this new normal on Krakoa, doesn't mean that they just shield themselves and close their eyes to potential dangers on the horizon. Just then, Shadow King's oddities, they take their leave of the Crucible, not wanting to watch any more of Danny and Karma's semi-violent dance routine. Warpath then asks Scout to level with him for a minute. He's like, hey, if you're in any real trouble, tell me, you know, tell me and I'll help you. She declines. And he tells her, hey, you know, I'll be here if you change your mind, and if this is, you know, a real thing and not a hypothetical. And Scout gives him a thumbs up in response as she walks away. We jump back to the fight, and it's uh, more fake-ass fighting. And at this point, I'm almost hoping that Karma somehow accidentally wins this thing, just to see the reaction of the crowd. Um, Danny Judo tosses Karma to the ground, but then kind of just stands there. It's almost reminiscent of, like, a pro wrestling match where where the competitors kind of botch a spot and not being able to think on their feet, they kind of just stare at one another like they lost the plot, right? Now, this illustrates one of the inconvenient truths of the Crucible to me. Now, it's depicted as this honorable fight to the death, this beautiful, like, ceremonial fight to the death when, in reality, it's just as predetermined as a professional wrestling match. One combatant will win, one will lose, and the end result is never in doubt. So, maybe not so much honorable, this is basically suicide via friend, right? Or via proxy, I don't know. Now, as the girls awkwardly stare at one another, Tran pops into Danny's mind to accuse her of uh, welching on their deal. And so they begin to fight. This time, for real-ish. Now, Karma slices through Danny's bow, which, I mean, is probably kind of doing her a favor in this situation, right? A, a bow isn't the best weapon for close-range fighting, is it? Now, while the crowd cheers this turn of events, we see Rain leaving the Crucible to, to head off. Now, our, our scene shifts over to the Boneyard Body Farm, and, uh, you know, I suppose we should enjoy anything X-Factor-related while we still got it. Now there, Shadow King's oddities are planning on trying out their tandem power dealie to body swap. Before they can begin, however, Scout shows up to give them some more of her reasons as to why they probably ought not do this. And it mostly, as mentioned earlier, comes down to her not being cool with them occupying another body without that body's permission. And, of course, this relates to Scout's history of being used by other people without her permission. She also suggests that the Shadow King is a liar, and nothing he says will help any of them feel better about themselves. Cosmar shouts her down, and proceeds to basically tell her everything that Anole told her last issue. You know, all that stuff about Scout not being able to understand where they come from because she can pass for human, they cannot. 
And uh, Cosmar is also rightfully ticked off about Danny's double standard as it pertains to the Crucible. If you remember, the reasoning for Danny's dismissal of Cosmar was that she still had her mutant powers, right? The entire, the entire endeavor of the Crucible is to make mutants whole again. Well, if we look at Karma, she still got her powers, right? So this is a definite sign that not all mutants on Krakoa are created equal. Rainboy then raises a pretty good point to uh, Scout's concern here. Because all the bodies at the Boneyard are from mutants who gave X-Factor permission to experiment on their old husks in order to further mutant research. Now we gotta assume that most of the bodies here are from mutants who have been already resurrected in new bodies, right? And so, what the oddities plan to do here is basically research. And so, maybe there isn't so much an issue with getting permission. Scout still isn't cool with it. And says that uh, this just this just gives her a bad gut feeling. Anole then gets in her face, telling her that you know we're not breaking any laws here. And then he suggests that either she run off and tattle on them, or just plain run off. Right around now, Rain wanders up and asks Scout if they can uh, maybe have a sidebar and chat for a bit. Now, if we remember, Rain was uh, recruited by uh, Farouk last issue to help with his little ragtags here. We jump back to the Crucible. Getting to the point where Karma knows she's about to die. And in her last moments, she begins having fears that, you know, maybe bringing Tran back might not be the best idea. Which, a little too late for that, isn't it? She and Danny then charge toward one another, with Danny finally landing the killing blow. We jump back to Rain and Gabby, and Rain delivers Gabby to Amal Farouk for a chat where he hopes to uh, iron out any problems she might have with his oddities and his methods. She tells him that she ain't scared of him, and also she won't let him muck with her friends. That's worth noting here. Rain's word balloons are a bit misshapen. Like lumpy, like really kind of lumpy rather than round and smooth. I don't know exactly what that's supposed to imply, but there's very likely something to it because it's very clear that these word balloons are, are different from what we've been getting the rest of this issue. From here, it's an info page. And it's a letter written by Magic in a ridiculously difficult-to-read font. Now, she mentions that the kids need to feel like they're meaningful, meaningfully contributing to Krakoan society rather than just fighting and killing in its name. Fair enough. We jump back to the Crucible, where Karma lay dying in Danny's arms. The very next panel, she emerges from her gold ball. Mm. Storm proclaims her to be a mutant. Everybody chants Karma, and she's welcomed back to the fold by her teammates. Now, Storm does say now that she is her own woman again, which likely tells us that the Tran extraction was a success? Maybe? Hmm. Also, uh, for whatever it's worth, um, Shan has decided to be reborn with her uh, cybernetic robot leg, which maybe that's weird, maybe it's not weird, I really don't know. It seems like uh, something you might want to change, but uh, who knows, it's not for me to say. But that is where we leave it. Next episode, it is the eve, the literal eve, of the Hellfire Gala, and it's the penultimate issue of X-Men Volume 5. But for now, let's talk a little bit about this issue of New Mutants here. It's kind of, um, it's kind of a weird one, isn't it? Uh, it's so strange. I'm, I've got this like odd dissonance inside me right now because I love the story. I think it's a great story because we're leading to something, certainly, right? Uh, we have Danny's hypocrisy. 
in uh, and just Cohen's hypocrisy in general here, uh, allowing Shan to uh, to do the the crucible uh, while she still has her powers. It's um, it's an interesting bending of the rules here, where we talked about um, aesthetics last time. We talked about an issue of New Mutants here, especially going into you know the fabulous fashion show of the Hellfire Gala, where the entire thing is predicated on looks and aesthetics and being pretty. And here we have uh, Shadow King's oddities who just want to feel that for, you know, a minute, right? Anole, uh, you know, I, I think I mentioned this last time we discussed this book, Anole never really struck me as someone who was uncomfortable in his own skin. But, you know, maybe it stands to reason that it could just be something he internalized, I mean, I'm personally a fellow with a lot of insecurities uh, that if I didn't have a microphone in my face right now, nobody would know about because I don't really talk about it all that much unless I'm talking to myself, which this kind of feels like uh, is part of the podcasting journey is talking to myself. So I could totally understand Anole wanting to put on a happy face, wanting to not fall into the trap of uh, the pity party and... Uh, yeah, just verbalizing his uh, feelings of inferiority, but still having them, right? Uh, Rainboy here says he just wants to be solid. You know, he's he's liquid. <laughs> he just wants to be solid. No girl is a brain in a jar. Cosmar was an ordinary kid whose powers just totally uh, changed how she looked into this sort of reality-warped version of herself, which is not aesthetically normal, you know, for a lack of a better term. She cannot pass as human. And, I mean, that's something we talked about a lot last issue of uh, New Mutants here, where it's the characters that can pass as human are kind of in a different class than the ones who cannot. Uh, we spent... So many of the early, uh, not early, but the early new X-Men years, you know, the Claremont years where Nightcrawler would have to use an image inducer, right? Uh, Beast would have to use an image inducer so they can pass as human. They're not accepted for how they look. And now on an island, we're supposed to be past all that because mutants are mutants are mutants. But not really, right? Um, here we see Shan with powers has a, an inconvenience she'd like to attend to. And I mean, I am admittedly oversimplifying it. But, I mean, such a thing as Tran and Shan being in the same body and uh, we have to remove one from the other, is that something that gets priority one? You know, I could see it being something that they'd like to attend to, but here it's being given priority over other other resurrections. And I'm not sure if I'm really over-romanticizing this or thinking too hard about it or seeing things where there isn't any, but I really see this as a kind of a Rubicon in establishing that the fact that there is a class system on Krakoa where it was the mutants against everyone, right? The mutants were, they are their own people and humans are their own people, but I mean, within humanity, there are classes and now we're finding that within mutants, there are classes and I feel like this is really that line in the sand that says that, where rules are not made for everybody. If you're lower, you know, on the pecking order, um, those rules are going to be more rigid than if you're higher and if you have friends in, in high places. 
So as all as far as all that goes, I thought this was a wonderful, wonderful issue because it just gave us so many questions. That said, there's something about this issue that really kind of stuck with me in in a negative way. Uh, this use of the crucible to do what they did here, the romanticizing of this, uh, the, the battle being honorable, this battle being noble, um, beautiful, when it's really not. But that's the point, right? I think that as observers, as we are, as readers, I think we fall in the in the Nightcrawler camp here. We can see that this just doesn't feel right. We can't come up with a valid reason as to why it doesn't feel right, other than the fact that it just doesn't feel right in our gut. And I mean, that's something that Scout talked about today. She talked about her her gut feeling. She doesn't. She can't explain why something's wrong. It's kind of like those old obscenity hearings where it's like, well, what's obscene? It's like, I don't know, but I'll know when I see it. You know, it's kind of like that where it just doesn't feel right. And these characters feel like they're not in character. Having the whole New Mutants family in the crowd cheering as Danny kills Shan. (laughs) I just, there's something wrong with that. There's a feeling in our gut. We can't point to, to why because Shan literally came back one panel later, and better off, right? Uh, We can assume that she's no longer got Tran in her head, uh, considering that Storm referred to her as being, you know, her own woman again. So it was a net positive for Karma, but at the same time, you're thinking, like, this just doesn't feel right. So it's that dissonance that really makes New Mutants the, the special book that it is, because as I was reading this for the first time, I... I was really confused, not with the story, but with my feelings on the story. Um, If I had written my script or my thoughts down right after I read it for the first time, this would be a drastically different episode. This would be me hooting and hollering, cursing at this book, saying that I can't believe they did this. But when you let it settle and you realize what this is depicting, whether it's imagined or not, it's food for thought, and food for thought is never a bad thing. So writing my notes down, you know, a day or a day and a half later, it allowed the thoughts to settle, allowed my, you know, tea kettle to settle a little bit. And I was able to take a step back and realize, like, okay, this is, this is making a statement. And it's a statement that's uh, needed to have been made for a little while now. Let's, let's look at the Shadow King and his oddities here for a minute. We... We're going to call him Shadow King since they call him Shadow King in the book. We don't know if he's actually the Shadow King. We know he's Amal Farouk. He's been resurrected. We know that Amal Farouk is a mutant. The Shadow King is not a mutant. The Shadow King is a psychic entity, invader, interloper, right? I don't know if they're using them interchangeably as sort of like a, you know, this is your mutant name, right? We talked a lot about mutant names way, way early on, which has kind of gotten dropped. Um, I remember the scene where Emma Frost went into the courtroom to pick up Sabretooth back during Hoxpox, and someone referred to her as, like, Ms. Frost or something, and she says, no, 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 we're on a mission, you call me by my mutant name, White Queen. Of course, we've kind of gone lax on that, but I say that so I could say this. Uh, perhaps Amal Farouk's mutant name is Shadow King. It's his familiar name. It's what we know him as from most of his other appearances. So I think we might be using those interchangeably, but 
That said, it confuses the issue a little bit, and it confuses me a little bit. So we don't know if the Shadow King is on the island. We don't know if the Shadow King is in Amal Farouk, or if Amal Farouk is just doing his own thing here. Being something of a Svengali, trying to find people to lead. We don't know what his motivations are. We don't know what his intent is. We don't know if he's a bad guy, a good guy, a neutral guy. We don't know. So having him with these oddities here, who are definitely weak. I mean, they are weak uh, in the sense that they're kind of easy marks, right? Uh, They're looking for, they're basically looking for someone to follow here. They're looking for guidance. They're looking for a way to feel better about themselves here, and the Shadow King's offering something to them. He also recruited Rain, and here we see her with these weird, you know, burbly word bubbles here. So, is she being mind-controlled? Is she drunk? I mean, is she just so beside herself with depression over her son, Tear, that uh, she's started to drink and she's just kind of hiccuping through? We really don't know. Um, I'm guessing that that'll probably come to the fore. Probably not next issue, but uh, maybe the issue after that, after we're done with the damn Hellfire Gala. But she, too, is someone who is looking for guidance, right? She's looking for someone to follow. She's looking for answers. And she's not finding those answers with, you know, Krakoan government, with the Five, even with her friends. She came back from learning that Tyr was alive to an empty house at the Sextant, where she was relying on Danny to be there for her, to kind of be that shoulder for her, and she wasn't there. She's too busy with Karma right now. Which, I mean, stands to reason Karma has some issues going on as well, and Danny can only be in so many places at once, but considering how fragile... Rain is after this discovery or this revelation that uh, Tyr isn't dead and is still alive somewhere. You could see her, you know, being a little bit disheartened, a little bit disenfranchised, and uh, easy pickings for someone as uh, oddly charismatic as Amal Farouk. So, a lot of interesting questions here. I'm very much enjoying the direction of this book. The art continues to be. Absolutely wonderful. And if you have to pick one Vita Ayala X book to read a month, this one should absolutely be it. (laughs) Children of the Atom is many, many levels below this one here. But I think that's all I got to say about this issue here. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on it because, uh, like I said, a lot of food for thought here, a lot of stuff to chew on, and um, um, perhaps a line in the sand being drawn. Maybe we are seeing the establishment or uh, the firm establishment that there is a something of a class system on Krakoa. I, that's one of the reasons I'm looking forward to the Hellfire Gala here because I do want to see I want to see the uh, the oddities here. Um, uh, see if they are like wallflowers or if they're welcomed into the gala as uh, just any other mutant. If their feelings of inferiority show or if, or if, if they're even mentioned at all. So I think that could be an interesting thing, and uh, that is something I'm certainly looking forward to. So yes, really good issue, worth a read, worth a discussion. So uh, I hope you guys check it out, and you uh, let me know what you think. Speaking of which, let's head into the mailbag here. We got a double shot of Damien from Off the Beaten Path today. First, he's going to talk about Marvel's voices, indigenous voices. And he says, yet another book where there's very little to say very much in the tradition of X-Men Unlimited, where there isn't much to get your teeth into. Ultimately, I enjoyed both of these stories, particularly the Mirage one. As you know, she's my favorite new mutant, so you're probably not terribly surprised. 
Danny felt very Danny in the story, which isn't always true of anthology stories, where often characters sacrificed for a plot twist. Overall, it's positive. And it's true. It's true. Uh, Indigenous Voices was the second of the uh, anthologies that we've discussed here on the show. And at this point, I mean, the X-Men Unlimited comparison is, is definitely a thing, right? Where X-Men Unlimited stories are usually inoffensive, they're not bad, uh, but there just isn't a whole heck of a lot to say about them. They're basically the hospital food of X-Men stories, right? They're just, they're bland, they're, they, uh, everything kind of tastes the same. You know, is this chicken? Is it beef? It's, it's something. It all tastes pretty much exactly the same. It's an established mutant runs into a new mutant and they have a discussion. That said, there were a lot of good things about this story here. Danny was very much Danny, as Damien pointed out. And uh, also, as Damien pointed out, usually these anthology stories, like, it wouldn't be going the extra mile. It would be going like one mile less in that it, does, it wouldn't matter who the characters are, right? It could just be you pick any three X-Men and they could fill the story. It's, okay, it's Beast, it's Mimic, and it's uh, the Changeling. Or it's Colossus, Wolverine, and Nightcrawler. Or it's Gambit, Bishop, and Jubilee. It doesn't matter. Usually that's how it goes in anthology stories. Here, it had to be Danny. Right? Because this was very Danny-centric. And I feel like the story really served Danny well. Uh, there was the, the question that... I'm going to call him Somnus because I think it's Somnus. But uh, there's the bit where he uh, questions um, Danny's affiliation. You know, is it her, her native roots or is it her Krakoan, new Krakoan roots? And Danny's like, both. You know, which is the simplest answer. It's also the most poignant and most honest. Which I really, really loved When I first read the question I was afraid we were about to get like a, a pretty big soapbox And we didn't And that's something I gotta give credit to all of our uh, our Marvel's Voices anthology stories that we covered here Every one of them could have veered into um, soapbox territory And uh, they didn't they, They've all been very, very uh, subtle And uh, more celebratory than, than condemning of others which is always very, very nice to see. Uh, next up, Damien's talking about our Black Cat two-parter here, where uh, Wolverine hung out in Madripoor because of course he did. Uh, Damien says, Time for my feedback on the two-part Black Cat and Wolverine team-up. I really enjoyed this. Chris Anka's artwork is so joyously full of life, and the story is the same. I've long been a Black Cat fan. In fact, I covered an issue of Marvel Tales in Episode 7 of my podcast that featured a reprint of a story that I read in a Marvel UK comic when I was 8 years old. I must take the time to read through the whole series on Unlimited. I wish Benjamin Percy could get some of the flavor of this issue into his Wolverine stories. The auction art could have done with a little more lightness. Overall, a great little diversion. And I agree with everything Damien said there. Uh, this was a very fun two-parter. And had a lightness that we just don't really get in the X-Books quite as much. Uh, this, I don't want to say that this book was a joke book, because it wasn't. You know, it just uh, it didn't take itself too seriously. It took itself seriously enough to continue the story of Black Cat and uh, the, the things, the trinkets that she needed to steal in order to do whatever it is she was going to do. And it gave us a nice little aside with Wolverine here, who was in an odd position of being a sidekick. And he filled the role really well. We saw him similarly in uh, in Runaways, in the three-parter that we covered in Runaways, where he's kind of just like the guy who's 
there, and he's uh, he's not taking point. He's just kind of he's just one of the group, and mostly grumbling about uh, about the inconvenience that he's being put through here. So I like that. I thought that was a very fun take for him. Most of the comedy bits landed very well in this book. Uh, the Deadpool bit was funny as well. Um, really. I don't think I have any And Chris Anka's art was wonderful too So I don't think I have any complaints about that uh, that Black Cat 2 parter The only complaint I have about Black Cat Is that she's been sucked into the infinite crossover thing That's going on right now So uh, I couldn't, you know, continue reading this Because I'm not going to get sucked into yet another uh, You know, cosmic Marvel event So really, really fun 2 parter uh, I hope to uh, revisit more Black Cat somewhere down the line If, uh, if we get some X-lapsed-related stuff in there. I think that could be a really fun little sidebar. But thank you so much for writing in about uh, a couple of our more off-the-beaten-path offerings here on the show. I really, really appreciate it. But I think that's going to do it for today. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I would invite you to do so. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, on Instagram at 90sXmen. You could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-lapsed voicemail hotline at 623 623- 396-JERK You can find blog posts and show notes Over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com You can join us on Facebook Our little group is 90s X-Men And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie Comics commentary listening needs You can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com And as I've been saying Day after day after day If you like what you hear there Or at least appreciate the uh, effort that goes into it each and every day I would love for you to uh, spread the word Share the show, tell a friend or two It would really, really mean a lot to me and the show Oof, I think I got most of that out in one breath. I'll have to listen back to see if I did or not. But uh, I would like to thank you all so, so much for sharing some of your time with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.